while your day is winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Tonight, I'm Marcus. Uh, Chris will be back tomorrow, um, but uh, we've got another Republican here. Um, Republican nominee for Attorney General Jay McMahon. Jay, how are you? Good, Marcus. Good to be here with you. Hello, everyone in southeastern Massachusetts. Love being here with you, chatting about politics. So uh, we've... we. We're, we'll, uh, we'll take your calls if you want to ask um, uh, uh, Attorney McMahon a question at 508-996-0500. But uh, before we get started, if you'd like to just um, introduce yourself to the audience, tell us why you're running, for, why you decided to run for Attorney General. Well, everyone, um, uh, I'm Jay McMahon, and I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I've been married to my wife for 30 years. We're the parents of five children. Um, after high school, I enlisted in the Massachusetts Army National Guard. I eventually became a lieutenant in the military police. Uh, I've also worked in law enforcement with uh, the Bosco County Sheriff's Office, and I also became a municipal police officer uh, with the town of Bonstable. I obtained my uh, Bachelor of Science degree in business administration right down the street from here at uh, UMass Dartmouth. Hmm. And uh, I got my law degree at Suffolk University in Boston. So... Why did I run for this office? Well, I've been a trial lawyer for 35 years. And Marcus, I just, I'm a political junkie. And I watch the news all the time. I've always been involved in politics, but more of a, more like a foot soldier. I would help other candidates. And in 2016, Maura Healy issued her, what I would call her infamous enforcement notice uh, about guns and she she and she said that there's certain guns that the citizens of the commonwealth cannot possess now first of all the citizens of the commonwealth to possess a gun you have to have either a license to carry or a firearms identification card but that made no difference to her she made an interpretation on certain laws that went well beyond what the laws said, and it was her interpretation. And to me and to many others, it was a violation of the Second Amendment. Um, it, hadn't, it, it took a while, but the courts are catching up, and they're also finding out that that's a violation. But it caused me to look at her office and to see what she is doing and has been doing and whether... Um, uh, whether she's uh, viable, whether somebody can uh, uh, take her on. And I was looking for a candidate that we could back. When I say we, a lot of people like-minded like myself. And um, we couldn't seem to see anybody in the Republican Party. This was in 2018 that was going to rise up and go against her. And I remember one time saying at a meeting, 
I said, you know something? We got to get somebody that's got the, a strong, firm tenacity that can go up against this, uh, against Maury Healy. And um, as I was working up ahead of steam saying, if you find that candidate, I'll support them. We'll all get behind them. We'll raise some money and everything else. And somebody in the back of the room says, we found the candidate. I said, who is it? And they go, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I, and so I said to my, my wife was there at the meeting and I said, I looked at my wife and I said, you know, I got two kids in college. I can't. And somebody says, see, that's the problem. When you got an excuse, when good people do nothing, you wind up with Amara Healy. So I asked my wife right in front of everybody. I said, what do you think? And she goes, uh, the guy who was sort of the rabble rouser, his name was Scotty. And um, Shelly said, my wife, Shelly says, you know, Scotty's right. Uh, you've been talking about it. It seems the passion is there for you. Uh, you were looking for another candidate. Um, but you can do this, and you'd be the man for the job. So I got an endorsement from my wife in front of a whole bunch of people <laughs> that I never oh, expected. Man. So we were off and running in 2018. Uh, Marcus, I got 800,000 votes. Came in second. Yes. <laughs> so I went to we went to sleep that night, uh, election night. Now I wasn't depressed, but I was disappointed. Yeah. I woke up the next morning and I nudged my wife and I said, "Hey, I know what I could do different next time." And she <laughs> says, "Are you crazy?" She goes, "Can you give it a break?" I said, "Okay, we'll talk about it on vacation." Well, this time around, my party called me uh, early in uh, uh, t- this year and said, "Hey, what are you doing?" And I said, uh, well, I'm doing my law practice and everything and just hanging in here. And he, they go, are you running for AG? And I said, uh, well, I hadn't made an announcement yet. Well, hurry up. we got to get this thing going. And I said, uh, well, am I, do I have any opposition? Is there anybody else out there? You're our guy. Run. And I said, okay, you guys got to support me? Because as you may know, 2018, I had an opponent who showed up two months after I yes, announced. Right. So I had to go through a primary. Well, this year I didn't have to I didn't have a primary. Yeah. And it's it's been great. I mean, I'm going out meeting people. It's like we're lighting up the uh, uh, the uh, all the people again and uh, get a lot of support. But I got a funny story to tell you. Sure. 2018, a couple of days after the election, a guy from Western Massachusetts where I have a good strong base. Guy calls me and he says, uh, "Hey Jay, how you doing?" And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right uh, cons- uh, under the circumstances. He goes, what circumstances are you talking about? I said, the election results. He goes, what about it? I said, didn't you see them? He goes, yeah, didn't you? And I said, all right, I'll bite. What's up? He goes, 800,000 people voted for you. How many of those people did you know before you started running? I said, I don't know, maybe 100. He goes, that means 800,000 people. Heard your message, didn't know you before, went into the voting booth, threw the lever for you. You're on a roll. <laughs> hey, I, you know, so so uh, Jay, I appreciate your vigor and optimism, but Maura Healy got 1.8 million votes that election. How are you going to make up that gap with Andrea Campbell? And what are some of the differences between you and Andrea Campbell? Okay, so uh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, first of all. The uh, the issue with Mara Healy, we can get into some of it with the office because it's still 
it still leaves. There, there, there's there's some corruption in that office, and we'll talk about that later. Okay. Uh, Andrea Campbell. Okay, so what's the difference? I was running against Maury Healy, who was an incumbent, and she does have the Democratic machine behind her. Uh, Andrea Campbell, this is kind of an interesting, perfect storm, if you will. Um, Andrea Campbell came out of a, of the primary. Three candidates were running in that primary. But what's interesting is they had a convention, just like the Republicans. We had our convention in May. They had this in June. We had ours in Springfield. They had this in Worcester. For this race, there were three candidates running. Quentin Palfrey, Andrea Campbell, and uh, Shannon Liss-Randon. And when they had their first vote, it came out 35%, 33%, and 31%. It's a tight, tight group. It was a tight race. And uh, somebody was asked, somebody in the news media was asking, who won? And somebody said, McMahon did. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but Andrea Campbell won the primary handedly. Against well, I don't know about handedly, but she did win with Quentin Palfrey giving... Uh, endorsing her uh, one week, one week yeah. before the election. I don't think he had a path to victory. Didn't we, have any money. He was he was doing poorly. In, the, in I of agree those polls. with you. He was doing all that. Yeah. Uh, even though he got the final vote out of coming out of their uh, convention, we had it shows one, you how much convention endorsements are worth. Well, that because uh, be. three out of the I think what three out of the four candidates that that were in a competitive primary lost the 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 um the convention won the convention vote and then lost. That's right. That's right. Uh, however, uh, four years ago, Deal and I both won our respective. Uh, uh, we we won our respective nominations in the convention, and then we won our primaries yes. by the exact same percentage. It was interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting. But uh, so getting back to this, um, interesting primary for the Dems. Obviously, I was watching it uh, along with people in my campaign, and uh, Shannon Liz Ridden, who um, I, I thought. Uh, was coming out swinging hard right from the very beginning. Spent nine point three million yeah. of her own money to lose. Yeah, to me that's money well spent. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 Andrea Campbell raised two million and spent two million. Well, so um, I so I, I just want to say there was a poll that that came out while we while while, while I was on the air. That shows Andrea Campbell with like a twenty-plus point lead in the polls. Um, what to, what's your response to that? There's a few weeks we're, we're a few weeks out from the election. Yeah, if you're gonna take a, if you're gonna take a poll from uh, from Democratic voters, you're gonna <laughs> find, you're gonna find that that's it. Look at the Mass GOP has a poll that says seventy percent of the uh, of the unenrolled voters who who always vote at elections are with us, meaning okay. the Republicans. Now, I'm going to tell you, I would like, or and I would hope it would be because of our message, but Marcus, I'll tell you what it is. They, it's the $5 a gallon gas, it's the $15 a pound uh, for a pound of bacon at the grocery store, it's the it's the price of electricity doubling, it's the price of, of home heating oil that's going to double this winter, where people have to make the grim decision, either heat or eat, but you can't do both. 
Now they want to throw the bums out, and that's why the Republicans are going to win big at this election cycle. So you 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 think that the state uh, Republicans are going to win? You uh, you rep deal Ray Campbell and uh, Anthony Moore. You, you predicting all four? Of you guys are going to win if if deal and I win. People are going to go all the way down the ballot. Not that there's, there's not that not a we whole have, lot of action down the ballot. Not, not that. <laughs> <laughs> you know that. Not a whole lot of action down the ballot. What's going to happen is that um, if they're voting for the two of us, they're going to vote all the way down. Uh, and it's going to be a voters' revolution. People, people don't like the way the economy's going. Now, you and I might analyze it and say, well, it's really national policy. It's really this or that. And we can put a, we can put our finger on why certain things are going on in the economy. But the average voter who no longer has disposable income at the end of the week, who used to have disposable income, and folks, by disposable income, I mean money left over after you've paid your mortgage, you've paid your taxes, you paid the gas in your car for this week so that you can go to the to the uh, store and go to work the money that's left over when you had anywhere between 50 or 100 dollars the money that you brought your wife or your girlfriend out to, to to dinner and stuff you no longer have that money because inflation and the price of gasoline when it went from 175 a gallon up to almost five dollars a gallon that robs you of your disposable income where you no longer have it. And that's what makes voters angry and want to throw the bums out. And that's what uh, the the mass GOP is seeing as a response. I'm all uh, Marcus. I'm all over the um, I'm all over the state because it's a statewide office. And everywhere I go there, the voters ire is to is 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 there. They are angry at the way things are going in their government. They're angry at the way the um, crime, there's a crime wave everywhere. Let me just give you an example. Two weeks ago, I'm in uh, Pittsfield. I had a nice fundraising event, very well attended. We had a lot of fun because I... I I like to tell jokes. I like to uh, How make was the analogies. foliage? I, I wanted to take a trip there. I'm serious. How was the foliage? The I wanted foliage to take a tri- is beautiful. Yeah. West, I always, when I'm out in Western Massachusetts, although I guess I say this everywhere, that this is God's country, but I absolutely love it. It's beautiful. And um, while we were having an event in this hall, there was a lot of commotion outside. Some guy got shot and killed. Outside, Nothing to do with my event, but just happened to be in the vicinity. So we're all going. Obviously, it was toward the end of the event. So the event was successful, but we're all gathering outside and everything. And the cops got it all taped off. So I saw a lieutenant there, and uh, I, I, I was talking to him a little bit. He recognized me as a, a candidate for AG. And we're just chatting a little bit, and I go, Wow, what the hell happened here? And he goes, Yeah, I, I, there was a, I think there was an argument. They started yelling, and then uh, one guy uh, killed another. But we we caught the guy. So mm-hmm. I said, Oh, okay, because we were wondering, is it safe to go out? Sure. And uh, I asked him. I says, How often is this? He goes. This used to happen maybe uh, once a year, but now it's like a monthly occurrence. Somebody is getting killed somewhere here in Berkshire County. So why do you think that is? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain it. Um, but in this case here, it just it just was a, a, another statistic about crime uh, getting worse. So um, 
we're going to actually, I think this is a good time to take a break. Uh, if you want to call in, you can at 508-996-0500. We're here with uh, Republican nominee for Attorney General Jay McMahon. Stay tuned. WBS. Welcome back. We're here with Attorney Jay McMahon, the Republican nominee for Attorney General. So um, I want to get into some uh, some policy discussions. Um, you, th- One of the issues I think that is... Um, very uh, salient in these in these statewide elections and really across the country is the Dobbs decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, um, you're a Republican. I frankly don't know exactly where you stand on this, whether or not you're pro-life or pro-choice, but I think most Massachusetts voters are pro-choice and they want to see their abortion rights protected here in the Commonwealth. What's your position on that as Attorney General? Are you going to, um, are you going to work to protect uh, the row that's been codified into law, or are you uh, not supportive of it? Okay, so one of the promises I've been talking to people about uh, on the campaign trail, and one of the things I've been criticizing Maura Healy for is politicizing the office, uh, using the the office of the attorney general uh, many in What's many it? cases like to harass uh, well harass Trump uh, was one of the things, um, and I've seen uh, just things that uh, I think are distasteful to most voters. When they say that they want an attorney general who's going to run the office, it's primarily law enforcement and support the laws of the Commonwealth. Now, that's what some, that's what you're going to get when you get me as attorney general. I will stand for the law. Now, the law on abortion, a woman's right to choose, is already codified in the state constitution. When I become the attorney general, I will be taking an oath of office to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the laws thereunder and the Constitution of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the laws thereunder. The Constitution of the of the state of Massachusetts provides for ch- uh, woman's choice, and I will maintain that, and I will do what I need to do to maintain all the rights that are under Massachusetts Constitution for all citizens. So it's right out of the gate. That's what I'm bound to do. I would be a hypocrite to take the oath of office and say I'm going to uphold these laws and then try to change them. It's not the attorney general's job to change the law. It is the it is the legislature. So, folks, if you don't like a particular law, no matter what it is, um, uh, the the uh, there's there's a there, there several times there was a law uh, proposed to ban nips. Uh, nips are uh, alcoholic beverages, small small uh, bottles of that. I was against that. I'm still against that. And the reason why I'm against that is because that's what that's the enjoyment that folks that do not that have lower income lower income families. That's how they enjoy. Having uh, having those kind those be- adult beverages, and so to ban it is to harm people. I'm not into banning any kind of uh, rights that people have. So, with respect to that, Marcus, that's my answer. I'm going to support the law, and the law right now in Massachusetts is that a woman has a right to choose. What's your position on um, uh, the uh, uh, cr- uh, crisis pregnancy centers? Okay. Um, first of all, that's a uh, First Amendment right, and as far as I'm concerned, if if uh, they should be able to do 
what they want to do. If they want to help people, if they feel that they have an issue with uh, protecting uh, the life of an unborn, they have every right to do what they want to do and say what they want to say, especially if someone goes to see them. And I think that they should be protected. but I And I don't think that they should um, uh, be subject to any kind of vandalism and all the other things that, that are happening to them. On the other hand, I think that the... Uh, Some people would posit that they're misleading pregnant women um, and giving them medically inaccurate information. Well, you know something? Whenever there's a controversial issue, every side is accused of giving bad information on the other side. I have seen, uh, and and like I said, before I became a candidate for office, I worked for a lot of candidates and I worked on a lot of issues. There's always the, the, the back and forth stuff and there's always rumors that get started and there's always um, a false narrative, if you will, on both sides of every issue. My job as the Attorney General and, and you would know this as, as an attorney, that we deal in facts and evidence. And um, I like what I've heard a, a judge say one time. Facts are a very stubborn thing. We're speaking with uh, Republican uh, Attorney General nominee uh, Jay McMahon. Okay, so what you're saying is um, you're going to uh, you're going to protect the the laws codified um, by uh, by the Roe Act um, if you were to be if you were to be elected Attorney General because that's your job. Um, so uh, moving on, I do want to talk. You said it's a, a law enforcement job. I mean, in the sense that if a law enforcement jo- like. I always see the attorney general's office as more of a consumer protection job. Right? Uh, that, that, well, that's one aspect of it. You know, it is a huge law firm. I mean, there's 500 lawyers there. Yeah. And then and then there's probably another 500 staff people. So so it's huge. Um, and uh, you were asking me earlier on what's the difference between me and my opponent mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, backgrounds. Well, first of all, uh, I've been in this business for 35 years. I'm a trial lawyer. I have had thousands of cases in every level of court uh, uh, in in Massachusetts, both state and federal. And I've been before um, dozens and dozens of uh, boards and commissions, federal, state, and municipal. So I have been everywhere with the attorney general office's practice. Not so with my opponent. My opponent hasn't tried a case. My opponent has no uh, clients. Um she just does not have the trial experience. Um, as far as managerial things, I have been uh, in high management positions in uh, corporations like Cape Cod Bank and Trust, uh, Scudder Taylor Oil Company, Cape Cod Hospital. I was the payroll manager for Cape Cod Hospital. We had over 2,000 employees. So I've been in management positions of large organizations. So I understand how organizations work, how, um, how uh, labor relations. I was in labor relations. So I know how to do that stuff. I've had experience in it. And uh, and it was a lot of fun, actually. And, my, and I've got my degree, my uh, undergrad is in business administration. So, uh, but getting back to um, uh, your original question, um, the office is huge. It's got six major divisions, but in each of those major divisions are minor divisions. So they do a, they do have a lot of law enforcement. Uh, they have a contingent of state police 
troopers who sure. are actually assigned to the office, yeah. and it could be anywhere between 30 and 100, uh, depending on what the load is and what the investigation is. So uh, it's, it's good, but also, like you said, consumer protection, and I like that. Uh, you and I know of uh, uh, statute um, chapter ninety three a section nine yeah, uh, three few, and nine. Written a few demand letters in my day. <laughs> yes, I'll bet you have a hundred <laughs> of them probably, yeah. and they work. Yes, and they, they do. They work. They do and, work. And so, but uh, that statute also allows the attorney general gives the attorney general a lot of latitude to do a lot of investigations. Mm-hmm. And Marcus, that's exactly what I'm going to do because I have done. Uh, I have a general practice of law, so I've I've been in, uh, like I said, the district courts and the superior courts and the probate courts and trial matters, and uh, so it's just second nature uh, to me to want to know what's going on in the cases in the office and to make sure we win on behalf of the people we're representing, which which is the people of the Commonwealth. So we're speaking with Republican uh, uh, Attorney General nominee Jay McMahon. Um, so. Uh, we were talking about um, you. You did talk about um, uh, Maura Healy. You, you accused her of of uh, of being corrupt. <laughs> okay. All right. So so let me let me let me just um, and and you said it. I, I did, and, and, and hold. And I just want to be clear. You said it in the context of me talking about her victory uh, in 2018 over you because you said you got eight hundred thousand votes, and I said she got one point eight million votes. All right. So, so I, I, I need some clarification okay, on this. Okay. Clarification. I can't believe I forgot about it. I, I know. <laughs> we we should go back and look at the tape. I think I said the office had corruption. She's, under, the, she's the head of the office. <laughs> that's not. That's a distinction that, without a difference. You know something? You, you and I can. That's why we're lawyers because we're <laughs> able to distinguish that. Um, but to, but but here's the deal: the corruption within the office. And so let me explain it, um, folks. As you probably know, the there's uh, two laboratories in Massachusetts that the police use. This was, Martha, is, this was Martha Coakley, though. Okay, it it occurred under Martha Coakley, mm-hmm. and but you know. Uh, Marcus, you are very cl- you are very clever, <laughs> but Maury Healy was a top lieutenant uh, in uh, Martha Coakley's office in the Civil so, Rights Division. Uh, yes, that's right. Okay. But I'll tell you what: the way that office works, and the way it should work, is the Attorney General gets and sets policy based on consensus with top lieutenants in her office. It's like any chief executive officer who would call in their department heads and ask them what they think. So it's not like something's going on in the criminal bureau, but a top lieutenant in some other division doesn't know what's happening. And it, and I agree that they could inherit a mess, which Mara did inherit, but didn't... Ha- I, I suggest did not handle it well, but let's 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 analyze it. Well, well so before we get into that, I, I knew what you were talking about because I'm a lawyer, and we talked about this after. But um, you're talking about the uh, the 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 Farrakh Dukin cases, in which essentially, let's just for the the sake of brevity, say two uh, lab techs on one in Western Mass, one in Boston, were fudging drug certifications, and a lot of people got convicted over it, and 30,000 right. people got released. Right. Um, you probably had some clients. I had some clients that were victims of the Farrakh Dukin cases. And what you're saying is Maura Healy was somehow involved in that, or at least uh, ambivalent to it? Okay, so so what happened was um, this, this started... Um, this this whole thing started and it was going for 
uh, not quite a decade. It was like 2007-ish, 2008, when I think when this came out. Like, yes. Yeah, right. and, and, the, uh, and the decision, though, that Judge Richard Carey wrote, the heavy... The heavy hammer decision, and I'll I'll get well. In fact, I'll tell you what. Let me let me just quote from some of the de- the, the decision which came out in 2016. Now, Mara had already been uh, the attorney general for two years there, and the, he's talking about the actions of people in the attorney general's office, and he said they engaged in egregious prosecutorial misconduct. They committed fraud upon the court. They lack a moral compass. Their conduct was rehensible and magnified by the fact that it was not limited to an isolated incident, but rather to a series of calculated misrepresentations. The ramifications of their conduct are nothing short of systemic. Now, he was referring to the office. And what the judge said was that he's talking about two lieutenants that that were in on that, on that, uh, on the, the the scandal that was affecting that. Now, what the judge is making reference to is that there were defense lawyers, Marcus, like you and I, who were asking for information on these two chemists to see whether it was affecting our cases or not. But the but the real hero in this whole thing was a guy named Luke Ryan, who was a lawyer out in Northampton. He's the one that got wind of this. Sure. And, and he came and he came on and I, he broke it open. But what happened was this the two lieutenants that were in that that Maura Healy inherited, those people, they didn't they didn't go to jail. What I just what I just read, the judge described going on in that office. Those two people did not get go to jail. They did not get fired. They did not uh, get disbarred, at least as of now. So what happened to them, Marcus? Here's what happened. They got promoted. Both individuals went from five-figure incomes to six-figure incomes, granted in other areas of, uh, of state government. So my point is the whole, the whole thing, Mora tried to bury it. And that's how it blew up. Now, we can argue all day long how this should have effectively been done, but I will give you an example how it should have been done. They should have looked at least to the trial cases of the people who got convicted and then sent a letter, say to you, sure. and said, hey, we know you represented uh, so-and-so on yeah. a particular case. Do a motion for a new trial. We'll assent to it. And then take it from there. Okay. And that would have been the clean way. Instead, they fought it. They fought it and they fought Judge Carey. Then they went up to the appeals court. It finally went to the uh, Supreme Judicial Court. And what I just read from you is also quoted in the Supreme Judicial Court decision. Do you have the date of that? It was it was two, in two, this 2000. I believe this decision came down in 2018. It's okay. Committee for Public Counsel Services versus the Attorney General. Okay. It's, Fun- a, it's a wild decision. I mean, when you read it, you think to yourself, wow, how could they have how could they have let it go? This this long and this wild, Attorney McMahon. You've got some calls on the line. People want to talk to you. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good evening. You're live with Jay McMahon. Good evening, Marcus. Good evening, Jay. It's Bob McConnell calling. Hi, Bob. Bob, how are you? 
I'm well, Jay. I was just coming from the Rochester Town Committee meeting, and they were saying how grateful they were that you had come out and spoke at the Ponderosa last Thursday. Yeah, that was fun. Um, that was a good event. I, I know that you and I haven't. Uh, yeah, I know that you and I haven't talked about this, but this uh, equity, justice, and accountability in Massachusetts law enforcement. Uh, legislation that was passed in December of 2021. The police reform uh, bill? Commonly referred to as the police reform bill. Uh, you know, they use that word equity when it is uh, misleading. It uh, is an Amer- American but, word. But Bob, I've got other calls on the line. Do you have a question for Jay about the police reform bill? Yes, I do. What okay. can we do about that and how it's going to decimate the police uh, in Massachusetts? It's taking away from officers every single day. Um, we Nobody's signing up for police academies, and this is taking away from officers out on the street providing public safety. Is there anything we can do about that? Well, I, Thanks I, for the call, Bob. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Uh, well, uh, I'll tell you what. The Boston PD are down 400 uh, cops right now, and uh, this, they're starting to get problems all over the state uh, because I travel all over the state because it's a statewide office. I've been meeting with um, uh, some police chiefs in some of the towns where they only so have a dozen you're officers. You're opposed to this legislation, the police reform bill. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we set the standard. Listen, ma- folks, Massachusetts sets the standard for law enforcement throughout the whole country. Uh, to me, uh, the police reform bill should never have seen the light of day. Uh, unfortunately, Governor Baker is the one that initiated that. I actually saw the initial bill. And the interesting thing about the bill, it, it, it had to have come from another state because it talks about uh, deputy sheriffs on patrol. We don't have deputy sheriffs on patrol in Massachusetts. They have them in the south. They have them uh, out in the Midwest. Uh, I know that uh, New Hampshire and some of their counties do and also in I, I some think, of the counties. I in, think uh, sheriff's offices do have limited chapter 90 powers they, i know this because we've been talking about the sheriff's race for, for i, I six agree months. they have they have limited chapter 90 powers but they just they we just don't use them in massachusetts as patrol officers and yet and yet there is massive amount of training that deputy sheriffs have to have that just doesn't to do de- to do details, right? Exactly. Okay. For to do details Listen, doesn't make sense. I don't disagree with you there on the on the deputy sheriffs need training just to do details. Um, but uh, it especially somewhere like Berkshire County, where you were met, uh, mentioning before, where they have very small uh, police departments that they often do. I think use sheriff's offices for details. Is act, that act, correct? Act, sometimes, but but I got to tell you, it's even more, Marcus. So it goes like this: It's not just that, but a uh, Western Worcester County, Northern Worcester County. Uh, Franklin County and Hampshire sure, County. Sure, Western Mass. Yes. Now, now some departments only have uh, a half dozen guys. Yeah. Some of them have a dozen. But, Most of those are provisionals, and the towns can't afford the massive training that is required by the police reform bill. Okay, but what about what else do you not like about the law besides the details thing? Because I, I feel like I agree with that. But um, do you not agree that officers should be better trained? Do you not agree with the post commission? Because I think Massachusetts is the was before one of like the two states in the Commonwealth. By the way, I see your calls online. We'll get to them at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. I believe Massachusetts is one of like the two, three, four states in the Commonwealth that did not have a commission to certify police officers, and it feels like a really important job that you you want people to do really well and, and be certified for. Um, what's your what, what other problems do you have with the law? Well, first of all, as I had said, Massachusetts. Massachusetts sets the standard. The way the law came in, it was a it was a 
people who 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 who, who uh, are um, on on this this side of the issue saw this as a knee jerk reaction to what was happening all over the country. Uh, uh, well, George, in, Floyd. In, in, in George Floyd. George Floyd. I was casually executed on the pavement. It was a serious thing. Okay, I think it was a serious thing. I think the optics of the whole thing was bad. I don't know why that happened, but that happened in Minneapolis. It doesn't. It never happened. The last time someone died in police custody that I'm aware of was seven generations ago in New Bedford. Okay, five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good evening. You're live. Yes. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, Marcus and Chris, I want to tip my hat to both. It's just Marcus tonight. Chris isn't here. Okay, but I want to tip my hat to both of you uh, just for getting these candidates on. I think it's so important. Um, Thanks. Jay, Jay, this coming week, I believe it's on Friday, two law enforcement officers will be laid to rest in Bristol, Connecticut. They were (sighs) shot dead. I know. Um, The most important tool a law enforcement officer has in their belt, it's not a gun. It's something simple called respect. And I believe we're drastically lacking that for law enforcement in this country. I'm curious about your take. We're beating, Thanks for the call. We're beating up the cops all over the place. Uh, it, it's it's just incredible to me to see the absolute disrespect that's being given to these guys. Uh, and these men and women are brave. They go out every day. Uh, most of them like their job. Most of them like what they do. And they just, at least in my eyes and in the, the eyes of many Americans, they're heroes. Um, I back them. I back the blue. Most know that. I am fully aware that at, from time to time there will be rogue officers. And those rogue officers are going to be dealt with if they commit a crime, just like anybody else that commits a crime. And it, the, this police reform bill does nothing to help that or to hinder that. The point of the matter is a lot of people want to take away qualified immunity from our police officers, my opponent for one. And to me, that's the worst thing we can do. We send the wrong message. Qualified of- qualified immunity though is a is a is a court jurisprudence that basically says that as long as there wasn't a previous um, incident that had been uh, decided to be like unconstitutional or, or excessive force or ne- uh, or negligent, as long as there wasn't an, an exact case on the books that an officer could refer to, then whatever they did is protected by qualified immunity. Uh, it doesn't it it doesn't actually um, cut to it doesn't actually um, pr- uh, you know um, leave them open to lose their property and their homes and their and their and their and their assets to lawsuits like a lot of people are saying. But don't do you do you think that there should be like more stringent standards on, on in which uh, public officials can be whole? Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, less accountability for public officials that do something wrong because that's basically kind of qualified immunity is not just for cops but for any uh, any government employee. My my opponent uh, wants to take qualified immunity away from police because she believes that that shields police officers, uh, if they commit a crime, that uh, they cannot be prosecuted, and nothing is further from the truth. Qualified immunity is is forgiven for uh, first responders, uh, for for emergency situations, as long as the first responder, be it a police officer, state trooper, um, firefighter, EMT, nurse, or doctor, as long as they are acting 
within the scope of their training, the law recognizes that they have split second timing to to react on an emergency situation. And if something goes wrong during the time, as long as they are acting in accordance with their training, they are shielded from civil liability so that they don't have to second guess what they're doing and maybe not get involved because something could happen, could go wrong, and they could they and they could subject their home, their pension, any money they have in the bank or anything that they could lose because something went wrong and somebody even though they may have saved a life, they may there may have been some 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 damage or some injury occurred in that process. That's what qualified immunity is for. The term qualified means they have to be doing it in the course of their training. Now, it doesn't mean that the municipality can't be sued. doesn't mean that the state, uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts can't be sued. But the individual officer is protected from civil liability. And that's why I want to make sure every police officer, every firefighter, every EMT, nurses and doctors are protected. And we don't take away qualified immunity from these American heroes. I, I'm just... You know, uh, I maybe maybe um, maybe we can have a longer conversation about that another time because I think we're going to disagree on the definition of qualified immunity. But we're here with Jay McMahon. He's here till uh, the end of the hour. We're taking your calls at 508-996-0500. Uh, stay tuned. 1420 WB with uh, Jay McMahon, who's the Republican nominee for attorney general. So. Um, so, Jay, I mean, I've talked to you a little bit about about the race, about uh, the polling that just came out that showed you, I think, you know, 20 or so points behind. There's a significant fundraising deficit, too. I think Andrea Campbell's got two million. You've got a couple two two hundred thousand, which is good. But Andrea Campbell's got a lot of money on you. What's your path to victory? Wait a minute. She didn't have two million. She spent two million on her primary. She's only got 60,000. I've got one hundred and thirty five. So I got huh? more than her. You got wrong. Because it says here in OCPF, I'm looking at the numbers right now. It says she's got two million. No, no she doesn't. This is one one through no, ten eighteen. She 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 spent that down. This is what this is the beauty of a of a. a oh, this, it's total total contribution. Yes. Okay. Yep, yep. She spent all that down, and I actually have more now. Now look at. I mean, it is. It's just what the nature of the business. Um, she had uh, she had two primary opponents uh, in the week before the uh, primary. Um, one of them dropped out and supported her. So she spent $2 million. Her other opponent, the person who lost, spent $9.3 million You're right. Cash, of, her more, of her more money. Yeah. Cash on hand says 60000 Yeah. Sorry about that. No, no, no. That's all right. That's all right. I, I just let you know, I watch those, those things too. So so as you can see, um, I've got... But, but still, it's a heavily blue state. We haven't had a Democratic I have a Republican Attorney General and since maybe you could tell me when. I don't know. Yes. So what's your- since, since Elliot Richardson, who left to be Attorney General... And to go work in the Nixon administration oh 60 years ago. Yeah. And prior to that, we had the first African-American uh, who was an attorney general, who was Ed Brooke. Edward Brooke, yeah. Who later went on to be the first African-American U.S. Senator. senator. Yeah. So Massachusetts is a very, um, shall I say, forgiving state. And it is also a very good proactive state when it comes to... Uh, uh, equality for all. In other words, Massachusetts voters look beyond the superficial. They look for substance. 
And I think they're going to look for it here. They're going to see someone who's running, myself, who's running, who's a trial attorney with 35 years of experience. Who do they want to turn over the, the entire litigation for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts? To me or to a novice who has not tried a case in court. So those are the things to be considered. And by the way, Mike, as we were talking about not too long ago about the drug scandals, folks, if you want to learn more about that, go to Netflix and there is a documentary called How to Fix a Drug Scandal. It's a good documentary. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Get a big bowl of popcorn because that's a, it's a long one. So, so Jay, before I let you go, because um, we've got to take this break and then it's the end of the hour, where can people go to learn more about your campaign? Go to my website. It's uh, attorneyjmcmahon.com. you got to spell out the word attorney and then J-A-Y-M-C-M-A-H-O-N.com. No spaces in between there. Or you can go to my website at attorneyjmcmahon. If you go onto my website, you will see everything you need to know, where I stand on all the issues. I'm primarily law enforcement guy. I will keep you safe. I have a plan, a, three, a three-prong a approach to resolving the opiate crisis. Folks, I just want to tell you, a couple of weeks ago, I went down to oh, Mass oh, and Cass. We got we to we go. We got to go. So what's, I have, the, what's I have the website? A plan. What's, all right, what's the website again? Website is... Uh, attorneyjmcmahon.com. Marcus, it's been great to be on Thanks with you. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. 1420 WBS.